pray that the songs that we sang have uh, done their intended work, not only to bring us before the throne of God in adoration, in praise, and worship of our King, but in another act of worship to have our hearts ready to receive what He has to say to us. And so that is my prayer, and I ask that you would join me in praying that that God would have His way in our hearts today and that we would be deepened, that we would be uh, stirred within our, our own souls to, to move forward spiritually, to go deeper spiritually, to, to be reminded of this call upon our lives as believers. And so with that in mind, I, I want to begin in verse 9 today of Acts 18, and I just want to read those three verses uh, that we're going to finish with this section, verses 9 through 11. So follow along, and then we will pray. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to sit under the teaching, to sit under the authoritative living word of God. And Father, I pray that this time would not be uh, without value. And honestly, God, we we know that it isn't. It, It won't be. You've promised that already in your word. And so I just pray that you would just have the freedom in each of our lives not to... Um, not to block what you want to say, not to let it uh, go in one ear, and then as soon as we walk out the doors, forget what we have learned. But God, have your way in us, and that we would be transformed by your word. Father, accomplish the purpose that you have in in each heart. I thank you that you see us, you know us, you you see the burdens that we bear and, and the guilt that we may be carrying. And Lord, maybe even the complacency that we are stuck in. And I pray that whatever the evaluation of our heart is, that you would see it and that you would uh, just uh, give the perfect prescription for uh, our lives to uh, just change us and give us the spiritual medicine we need to become well, uh, to be healthy. Father, to be faithful to you and to your church and to the body as as believers within your church. God, do your work. And so we thank you for this time. May you go before us and may you receive all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at this passage, we covered the beginning of, of chapter 18 last Sunday, and you'll see there in the first portion of your notes just sort of what we covered in, in general from last week. But I want to begin with this ongoing thought that, that I feel is 
one of the main thrusts of these uh, first 11 verses. Remember, Paul is going to Corinth. He, he goes there and he sees uh, just some amazing things that God does and how he's working in the hearts of people. And what we see time and again throughout his ministries, throughout the missionary journeys, is we see God's faithfulness. But God's faithfulness should enable us also to be compelled to faithfulness. Because God is faithful, I too, as a follower of Christ, can be consistent. I can persevere. I can stay the course. I can walk behind my master wherever he leads me. And that is my prayer for us today, to be faithful. To continue to do what God has called us to do. So what does it mean to be faithful? We talked a little bit about this last Sunday. But let's talk a little bit more about it. Webster gives some synonyms for faithfulness. I personally didn't like the definition that Webster gave, so I'll just give some synonyms. All right. What does it mean to be faithful? It means to be loyal. It means to be constant, steadfast, resolute allegiance. I love that. Resolute allegiance. When it comes to being a a soldier serving our country, it demands allegiance, doesn't it? It demands faithfulness. And anybody who isn't faithful, who doesn't have resolute allegiance, uh, they are dismissed, they are dishonorably discharged, or there is some kind of reprimand that they would learn to be faithful. But for us as believers, the call upon our lives as a soldier of Christ is to be faithful. But the challenge is, if we're really honest, if we sit here and, and, and we truly just expose our hearts before God, we have to admit that we're unfaithful at times. We're not always consistently faithful. We see examples here in chapter 18 of God's faithfulness, of Paul's faithfulness, of the others that are working with Paul, of their faithfulness. But why are we unfaithful at times? I want you to think about that question. Why, at times in your life, have you been unfaithful to any number of things that you know you should be faithful to? There might be a lot of reasons and a lot of moving parts to answer that question, but as I thought about it in my own life and what I really think it it comes down to, when we are unfaithful, it is a direct result to our own selfishness. It correlates with our own short-sightedness of life. And how we look at life in a very horizontal way in a very short-sighted way that we can't see the finish line, and so we only focus on the next step ahead. And when we focus just on that next step and not 10 steps or 20 steps or the end goal, when we lose sight of the goal, we become unfaithful, we deviate, we trip up, we fall short. Unfaithfulness is a lack of seeing or remembering the big picture. It's a lack of forgetting the hope and the joy that we have for us in heaven. We're not going to take time to to go there, but I would encourage you if you want to consider what 
faith looks like and faithful people look like, read Hebrews chapter 11. Many scholars have called that chapter the hall of faith. And for good reason, as you read through these faithful examples, people that were sinners, people that didn't always do what was right, but overall God characterized them as people of faith, people that were faithful, that stayed focused on the prize. And one of the things that strikes you as you read through Hebrews 11 is that they did not look at what was going on around them, but they looked towards a a city and a country, a place of citizenship that was theirs but it wasn't theirs right now. They didn't have it. They didn't, they didn't have it in their possession. They knew that it was there. But they looked far into the future for it. And that caused them to be faithful in the time in which they lived. Knowing that someday in the future, God would fulfill his promise to them. And so my prayer today for each of us is that we would be compelled to faithfulness and not lose sight of the goals. And I just ask that you would think about this in your own heart this morning. As you look at your the past week or the past month or maybe a number of years, have you lost sight of the important goals in life? Have you lost sight of eternity? Things that matter for eternity eternal values, things that are going to last. People are eternal. God's word is eternal. Those are the things that we should be focusing on, not on things that are going to burn. And so if you're worried about um, your, your vehicle not running right, or you're worried about your bank account not being as big as it needs to be, those aren't concerns that should be our focus. And when they are, we get distracted and we can become unfaithful. So again, I want us to connect to this one thought, this one main thrust this morning. Christ has called us to serve with faithfulness by not losing sight of eternity. Have you lost sight? Well, I believe this passage reminds us not to lose sight of eternity. Last week we covered a couple things. Let me just review them briefly. Christ's love compels us to be faithful because of the need the team, and the response. The need is that everybody needs the Lord, and there are so many lost people throughout this world, your co-workers, your relatives, uh, people down the street, whoever it may be, they need Jesus. And that should compel us to be faithful. Not only that, but we're compelled to be faithful because we don't do it alone. We have a team. We have a body of believers that come alongside that serve together, that use their gifts, and we use our gifts, and together we can meet that need and reach those people. And then thirdly, we're compelled to faithfulness because there's a great response. People believe. They hear the message. They recognize their need. They see the beauty of the body of Christ and the team, and they say, I want to be a part of that team. And so all those things compel us to faithfulness. But there's two other things that I want us to note in verses 9, 10, and 11 that I think will encourage us, that will motivate us, push us to be more faithful. The love of Christ compels us to be faithful because of the enabling. And really, if you want to get more specific, it's not just the enabling or some enabling. It is His enabling. 
It is the enabling of the Spirit of God. And, and I want you to note uh, this just amazing account here. Paul, uh, throughout his life, had a couple opportunities to have unique experiences and interactions with the Lord. Remember, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Um, he encountered in a very tangible way, visually, so much that it blinded him, the, the presence of the Lord. And, and here in this passage, we see Paul experience uh, a vision where the Lord came to him and, and spoke to him about a very important subject. So let's note it again, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. There are times in our lives when we need a personal encounter with the Holy God. We need God to get our attention in such a way that it's like a slap upside the face, and we just cannot help but know that God is saying, Listen! Now, that may bring all kinds of bad memories when your parents may have slapped you or got your attention. Um, I'd grab my kids by the, the, the shirt collar and, are you listening? And, and then sometimes I was too aggressive and I had to apologize, you know, at times. Dylan reminded me of one such incident this past week. Not with him, because I never was in any way out of bounds with my son in regards to that. But we all, we all fail. We all do that at times, but God doesn't. He has a way of getting our attention in a wonderful way, not in a mean way, but, but in a way that does grasp our attention. We need that moment that, that Paul has here. It doesn't have to be a vision. It doesn't have to be where we hear an audible voice and and I would caution you, if you do have a vision or have an audible voice, um, to not... Um, I, I just say this, the, the authority, the communication that God uh, most often uses nowadays is the Word of God because it's the completed, authoritative Word of God. But here we see... God speaking to Paul in a powerful way, in a way that he needed, and, and we see the reason for it. It was an enablement by the Spirit of God to tell Paul, continue to do what you were doing. Now, we don't know what was going on in Paul's heart, but what we can surmise is that there was some struggle within Paul's heart and mind that, that the Lord had to approach him and say, Paul, don't be afraid any longer. And so we know that Paul was afraid. He was fearing in some way. And so the Lord approaches him to speak with courage. God says, Paul, don't be afraid. You need to continue to speak with courage. Well, how did he do that? He spoke with courage by the empowering of the Spirit of God, by being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, by being enabled to, to say what he needed to say. Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what you will say when you are confronted because the Spirit of God will give you the word to say in that moment. And so we trust the Lord to give us that word, to communicate what we need to say. And that's through the empowering, the filling, the being, being led by the Spirit of God. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was struck by someone that made a statement 
about one of the greatest things, um, I think it was Lillian's dad, it was one of the greatest things that he remembered, and he's in his 90s now, one of the greatest things that he remembers is being um, in college and, and being challenged by a speaker that he, that he heard. The speaker talked about practicing the presence of God and, and just the, the specific intention of understanding that through faith in Christ, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And often as believers, we, we don't access the, the power and the enabling we don't practice the presence of the living God who indwells us. How much of the, the problems in our life would go away if we would truly be controlled by the Spirit of God and we'd be listening to Him? Well, we'd be more faithful, wouldn't we? We would also be more courageous. And, and Jesus is asking Paul, He's telling him, don't be afraid any longer but you should speak with courage. Back in Acts 16 and verse 9, Paul had another vision from the Lord. We covered that a number of months ago. And in that vision, the Lord told Paul to go. And now the Lord is not calling Paul to go, but the vision is to stay and to remain faithful and to not worry. Paul needed the Lord's comfort, and so do we. Maybe you came here today and you're fearing certain things in your life. It may not be as with little kids, a monster under your bed, but there are still monsters in your life, and you are fearing them. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm fearing being an empty nester. And Anika and I have talked about being empty nesters, I, I think all our married life and thinking about looking forward to that and excited about that. And now we're one week away technically from being empty nesters. And, but I hear that they move back. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how empty we're going to be, but, but there is that there's a, there's a fear. What does life look like? And thankfully Anika and I have a wonderful relationship and I'm so glad for that. So I'm, I'm excited about all the things that that we'll get to focus on and pursue that, that uh, we couldn't win. The kids were in the home. But whatever the fears are, God is saying we need to give them to the Lord and, and we shouldn't fear. Don't be afraid. We do well to remember some verses. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Um, let me just go there. I want you to, to hear this. You can go there if you want. But Isaiah 41 and verse 10 is a fantastic verse. Whenever we are worried, whenever we fear and we're anxious about something coming up, uh, you graduates that are going to be graduating um, and just life that's coming before you, this is a great verse to memorize. It says, do not fear for I am with you. So God is, is speaking to Israel here, and, but he, we can apply it to ourselves as well. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, For he himself has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And we see there, in the middle of verse 10 there, Jesus says, I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. And so Jesus is making a great promise through this vision to Paul to be comforted, to be encouraged, to say, there is hope, Paul, there is a plan, I'm in control, and you can continue to be faithful. You can continue to speak with courage, enabling and empowered by the Spirit of God, practicing the presence of God, and letting me take care of the rest of it. So the Lord enabled Paul to speak with courage. The Lord also enabled Paul to trust His promises. In verse 10, we see these promises more. We just talked about them. For I am with you, Jesus said. You remember Jesus' promise to the disciples right at the end of um, His earthly ministry before He ascended to the Father after the resurrection from the dead? Jesus said this to the disciples. He said in Matthew 28 and verse 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age, you graduates. The Lord is with you always, wherever you go. The rest of us, the Lord is with us wherever we go. There's a song by Matt Redman. We uh, have sung it here before. I, I love the lyrics. I love this song, Never Once. And it talks about just this this amazing thought that never once, no matter what we go through and the, and the roads and the paths that we go down and the hardships and the trials and the struggles of life, never once did we ever walk alone. That's an amazing truth of who God is and what he has promised us. So Jesus says, you can trust my promises because I am with you. You can trust my promises because I have promised to keep you safe. Notice No harm will come to you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like that harm can come to you because there's no one else to protect you? I want you to remember what God has promised in His Word. He is our ever-present help. He is always there never to leave. What a promise that we need to trust. Now let me just say this. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, then you don't have a relationship with Him. He isn't indwelling you by His Spirit. And you do want Him to be with you. Through faith in Him and what He did at the cross, you can have Him with you wherever you go. Thirdly, as we trust His promises, again, this whole thought of enabling us to be faithful because we we trust who He is, we trust what He has promised. Notice the end of verse 10. He says, For I have many people in this city. Why do you think God said that to Paul? For I have many people in this city. I think there's a couple of reasons as I was praying and studying through this and reading some different commentaries, this is one of the main conclusions that I came to, that we need to trust God's promises because God is sovereign. He's in control. He doesn't answer to anybody. He has a plan and a purpose, and His plan and His purpose will 
come to pass. And I love this statement that that God makes. For I have many people in this city. Jesus is saying, I have a plan and a purpose. I am sovereign. And I know those people who are mine. And nothing will change that. But why do you think Jesus made this statement to Paul? Why did Paul need to know this? What benefit was it for him? Because again, this implies that God obviously knows the future, which He does. It also implies that those who would trust in His Son by faith, that they belong to Him before the foundation of the world. We get into some deep theology here, and, and we're not going to go there today. You can go there in your, in your own time, but, but understand what God's Word clearly says. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9 says, The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, before creation even started. God knew us. He saw us. He chose us to belong, to be accepted, to be forgiven, to be loved. And Jesus is telling Paul, I have many people like that in this evil, godless, debauched city of Corinth. I have many people that belong to me. But why did he tell Paul this? Well, I believe in the context of what Paul is going through. Remember, he is experiencing this vision because he's afraid, because he is fearing on some level. He may be wanting to... to go to another town. He may be having a little bit of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't, I don't mean that jokingly. I mean seriously. As you read back in the other places that he just came from, remember that not too back, uh, far back, he was stoned. And most people thought he was stoned to death. And then I believe, personally, I think there was a miraculous resurrection uh, where Paul got up and he went on. But that does have to shape a person, a human being. It does have to affect them. And if there's antagonists and those that would threaten and those that would persecute and those that would react strongly, negatively, as we have been reading, then there's got to be some of that where Paul is thinking, is it worth it? God, why do I continue saying these things to these people that all they want to do is kill me? So Jesus in His grace said, I want to get your attention here because there is a point and there is a purpose. Because Paul is afraid. Jesus says, I have many people in this city to remind Paul that even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of not being able to see the end result, that Paul can trust him for the results because he has a plan. You know, I think back to 1 Kings 19, applying this to Paul's situation. Do you remember what happened there? Do you remember the great prophet Elijah? And we all, I think a lot of us remember this story of Elijah and how he was the lone prophet against all the prophets of Baal. And, and they had this big showdown on Mount Carmel and And the prophets of Baal called upon Baal to do all kinds of things, and Baal didn't hear him. He must have been busy doing some other things, right? And then Elijah sort of, you know, 
he mocks them a little bit and challenges them, and then he pours water all over the altar, and, and, and there's a big amount of water all around it, and then he prays to God, and God sends down fire and consumes the sacrifice and the altar and dries up all the, the water around it as a display of his greatness. And so we see the greatness of God, God's faithfulness to Elijah. But then the next scene, right after that, Elijah goes away and he's off by himself and he is depressed and he is sad and he is totally forgotten. Let me not totally forgotten, but he's lost sight of what just happened. And all he can think about is that he is alone and that there's no point in living anymore. And he asked God to take his life. And one of the reasons that he wanted to not be there any longer is because he, he felt like there was no one else that followed God, that it was just all pagans and unbelievers. And, and God reminded him in a gracious way, I have, I think it was 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. As a reminder to Elijah, you're not alone. There, I have a plan and there's a purpose and there's other people that are with you. And so with that... I want us to think about Paul's situation, and Paul at times probably felt alone. And so Jesus says this, you're going to be protected, I'm going to be with you, and I have many people in this city, whether it was people that still needed to be saved, that would be saved, or whether it was people that are saved, that just needed to come out of the woodwork and come together and be supportive of Paul, that there was a group of people, there was followers, there was a body of Christ that was going to come together. And Paul didn't have to worry, he could trust God's promises because God is an enabling God. Does God want to do that kind of work in your heart today? Does God have a plan for you? Does God need to remind you that you are not alone? Does God need to remind you to be faithful because he has a perfect plan that is ultimately going to unfold? And part of that plan that God had for Paul was to stay the course, to finish the work in Corinth because there were many people that needed to be evangelized. And that was Paul's call upon his life to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified to a world that needed to hear compels us to be faithful as well. In verse 11, we see one final thought about being faithful and the reason, the motivation, and really the main thrust of it all. Notice in verse 11, we see just sort of a, a comment that Luke makes just as a way to uh, really sort of give us an understanding of what was taking place. It says in verse 11 that Paul settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so we could just overlook that, but I, I don't think that we should, and I think that it's very significant. Because in this context of Paul no, no longer being afraid, but being courageous to speak, and knowing that he had a purpose and a mission to continue to be faithful, Luke reminds all of us of the true motivation and enabling to be faithful, and it is the power and the authority and the truth of God's word. The truth compels us to be faithful. If we don't have the truth of God's living, breathing word, then go do something else. Go to the lake. 
Go hang out. Because if this isn't true, then we are wasting our time, are we not? But it is true. And because it is true, we aren't wasting our time, and we must focus on it, and it must be the one thing that transforms our lives. And so, so two simple thoughts. First, we must preach the truth. Notice in verse 11, Paul was there a year and a half, and he continued to teach the Word of God among them. Paul was faithful to what God had asked him to do. I want you to go and tell others about me. I want you to teach the Word, the truth, which changes people's lives. Tell them what my Word does. Tell them that the Word of God is the foundation for their life, that it is the compass for their life, that it is the one thing that will transform their life, and it's those things for you and me as well. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is what changes our lives. That is why the truth is so important. 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say, All Scripture, the entirety of the Word of God, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It transforms our lives. It changes us. You go back into 1 Corinthians, we're not going to go there, but uh, that first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, later on after, as we're reading here in Acts, later on he would write back to them and he would remind them of how he taught them. He approached them not with wisdom, not with man's great ideas and thoughts, he didn't approach them with worldly philosophies. He approached them and he presented one message of Christ crucified. Foolishness to the world, but the power of God to those that are being saved. And so Paul wanted to instill this to preach the truth and to let the truth, the word of God, change their lives. And so the second part of this, of being faithful to the truth, the word of God, not only should he preach it, but we must persevere in it. We're going to end with this. Notice also in verse 11, and he settled there a year and six months. Now, this is sort of unique. For those of you that have been with us uh, going through the book of Acts, you know the stories of, of the different missionary journeys and the amount of time that he would spend in a particular place, and it wasn't very long. Before, Paul went from town to town a week there or two, maybe a month or two, and then he would move on. But here, Paul's tactics seemed to change. Maybe he was ready to move on. Maybe that was why Jesus approached him in a vision in the night saying, don't be afraid to speak any longer, but continue to speak. And I think there was a motivation there to stay the course, to persevere. And so Paul's tactics change. He stayed in Corinth a year and a half. He goes on from Corinth to Ephesus, and he stayed in Ephesus over two years. What would be the point of staying there longer? As a missionary, as Paul, an evangelist, wanting to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, what would be the point of it? Well, we see it right here in the verse. Teaching the word of God was the point. 
Paul understood that disciples that were saved needed to be uh, matured, needed to go deeper, needed to be multiplied. And so he knew that he needed to pour into them. He needed to be faithful and let the truth of God change their life. And so as we close today, as we think about the power and the truth of God's word, as we think about the power and the enabling of the Spirit of God to remain faithful to His Word, are you and I in God's Word enough to let it change us? See, Paul took time to teach the Corinthians to go in-depth with them. And it's an example to us. Are we going in-depth enough to let God's Word change us? Let me just ask it very plainly. Is the only time that you're exposed to the, the Word of God on Sunday? It's not enough. We see time and again examples of needing to be in the Word day and night to let God's Word change us. As it changes us, we will be faithful and we will see God's faithfulness unfold in our own lives. I pray that as we think about these truths today, as we think about these examples, that we would be willing to ask God, God, would you help me to be faithful? Would you stir within my heart a desire for faithfulness? Can you see beyond today? Can you imagine the things that God has planned in the future if you would only be faithful to him? Don't be short-sighted. Look and let God do his work. You be faithful. Let God accomplish it. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for the examples here in Acts. And we, God, we just ask that we would remember as we leave this place the things that you have said to our hearts. Not, not the things that I said but the things that you have said to each of us. God, help us to remember the, the calling on our lives to serve you and to serve with faithfulness. And help us, God, to remember the reasons why. Help us not to be short-sighted. Help us to see beyond today and beyond the next 10 years. And help us to see not way beyond the end of our life to the impact that you want to to accomplish even when we're gone. Lord, help us to see eternity and let eternity, God, shape our lives and how we live today. Thank you for Paul's example that he allowed you and eternal values and focus to shape how he lived his life, and I pray that we would do the same by your grace. Lord, it's not for us Definitely not for our glory, but it is for your glory alone that people would be drawn to your son, that people would be saved, that people would be reflecting Jesus Christ in their lives. And so we pray that that would be accomplished in us. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.